Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Emily Chang, and this is The Circuit. Oh, I'm talking about tweets. I have a weird relationship with Twitter. Yeah. We all do. Everyone <laughs> in the world. It's one of the most influential and controversial social networks today, and for years it struggled to make money and moderate content. Then, one of the world's richest men stepped in. To some, he was the knight in shining armor. To others, he was Twitter's worst nightmare. I wanted to get some perspective from two people who know Twitter better than almost anyone. Here's my conversation with Twitter co-founder and former CEO, Ev Williams, and one of the most critical members of the founding team, Jason Goldman. All right, so let's just start with, like, tell us who you are, tell me who you are, what was your role in the Twitter story? Should we do each other instead? <laughs> yeah, yes. So this is Jason, at Goldman on Twitter. Jason worked with me on Blogger when I was six people. This is and like, three of them were named Jason. And three of them were named Jason, so we started calling him Goldman. And then Blogger went to Google, we got acquired, we worked together there. I left Google, Jason took over Blogger. Biz and I left to start Odeo, which became, which Twitter came out of. And Jason was like, that Odeo BS, I'm not buying that. But then we did Twitter and he's like, I'm in. And then he came over and um, ran product and did a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. So you guys have been friends for a really long time. Indeed. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, it's actually like the 20 year anniversary of this month of selling Blogger to Google. It's like that when right? we started. You're right. Yeah. Wow. That's like, so that's like when we met. Wow, yeah. Mm -hmm. Who knew what the next 20 years would hold? Yes, and so Evan Williams uh, was uh, the creator and founder of Pyro Labs, the makers of Blogger, and I joined during the second phase of Blogger. There had been a version with a founding team and then the dot crash happened. Um, and Ev kept it alive, essentially through force of will. Uh, yeah, which is which is pretty crazy. And then slowly built up a team of six people, three of whom were Jasons. Um, sold the company to Google, which was their first acquisition. He sold, it was the first company that Google had ever bought. Uh, this is the first like aqua hire in the history of Google. Um, was Ev's company, and he worked there. And then, uh, yes, started Odeo, uh, a podcasting company because of his deep love of podcasts. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this is a lot of, this is a lot of history, a lot of inter. Yeah, and then, uh, <laughs> and then yeah, and then uh, once Odeo pivoted, uh, created Obvious uh, to be a holding company for Odeo and this nascent product Twitter, um, and uh, then Twitter was spun out and he eventually became CEO of Twitter and was on the board until what, 2017? 19. 19. It's a while. It's a while. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you were CEO yeah. until? I was CEO from October 2008 to October, yeah, October 2010. Mm -hmm. Two years, okay. almost exactly. So there have been a lot of changing of the guards mm -hmm. at Indeed. Twitter. When yeah. Elon burst onto the scene, were you both just like, what? Like, what was the first reaction? Uh, yeah, it was surprising. I mean, I'm trying to remember the first bursting on, or if I was even aware of it, were you? He clearly was addicted to the service. And so, uh, you know, was aware of him from that perspective. The idea that he was going to either join the board or then eventually make an offer on the company. The joining the board happened so briefly, I didn't really react strongly to that. But the idea that he was gonna buy the company, to me initially seemed like, oh, he's not gonna be really serious about this. It's gonna be uh, like the way you sort of, you know, put in a reservation on like a fancy sports car if you're having like, you know, kind of some, some sort of like crisis and you're just like, ah, like, I'll like see if this, I'll see if this is something I want to buy later. But it turned out he was 
serious about it for a minute um, and really signed a binding contract that he later tried to get out of. I mean, Elon Musk owns Twitter. Yeah. Does that idea take some getting used to? Like, I mean, are you still yeah, it's very getting bizarre. used to it? It's very bizarre. I don't really think about it on a daily basis, but there have been a couple moments where I'm like, oh, I started this thing with some other people a long right. time ago in this little office, and then the world's richest man bought it. Right. And it's this big news story. It's like, how did, how did that happen? That's weird. And it's also like someone like, you know, like I don't know Elon personally, but it's like someone who's been in like the orbit of like tech oh, yeah. people. I've known Elon for yeah. a long time. Yeah. When, when, well, when he burst onto the scene, like were, was there any part of you that was like, oh, this is interesting, maybe it's a little I was exciting? totally, yes. And I mean, for sure, I was somewhat excited. Um, I was like, oh, I like interesting things to happen. Right. I, I'm not a fan of things staying the way they are. I mean, the, that's why we do tech. That's why we start new things. So, you know, Twitter had been pretty much the same. I think it had been getting better and better. Actually, the trajectory of improvements in the year or two uh, prior to Elon, I thought the team was great. I thought the exact team was like probably the best it's ever been. They were making product improvements. So it was on a good trajectory, I thought. But then I was like, Elon. Holy, holy moly, he does crazy things. This will be interesting and fun. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> we may okay. differ on this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was just concerned because like everything he was talking about that he wanted to do with the product seemed pretty lightly considered. Like, you know, it was, it was, it was like, oh, there's, you know, we got to defeat all the bots and, yeah. you know, we, there's all this stuff about like the culture wars that we need, you know, we need to get rid of the wokeness on this. I was like, he doesn't really mean that. This is like some sort of, you know, performance in the early days of what he thinks he wants to do. But it, it became clear over time that, was, no, that is his primary interest in owning the platform is mm -hmm. to kind of push on these particular cultural uh, issues and his own personal use of the product he wants to make better. Um, which, you know, I guess, you know, if you're, the world's richest man as he was at the time and you want to have the product tailored exactly for your use then you can buy it and just really make it fit in the niche that you have it's a thing you can do that's a thing you can do so how do you feel about what he's done so far i don't think he's dialed it in quite right <laughs> yet i don't spend as much time on the platform any i i like that he's willing to try things um but yeah, I don't know if he's figured it out. You spend more time on Twitter these days. Well, it's gone pretty poorly. <laughs> I mean, just objectively speaking. You know, I mean, one of the things people say that Ev sort of, you know, echoed a bit of, which is that, well, at least he's going to try things. He's going to do things with the product. The moves fast sort of mythos is belied by that most of the things that have been pushed out the door were either things that existed previously, like Twitter Blue or View Counts, which were just, you know, existed in the product but hadn't been turned on. Um, or there are things that the, the stuff that he pushed out that was really kind of bespoke is make sure you amplify my tweets so that everyone sees them, uh, which is, again, if you own the product, you can do that. It's just a curious way to product manage a global platform. Well, and I also want to, like, the just trying things, I agree. Like, it's not that alone isn't that impressive or useful. Um, and like I said before, I, that team that was in there, there's also a lot of things killed, from what I understand, that were actually really interesting things in sure. the works that I know from the former exec team. And uh, so just want to note that, because there was there were things being being worked on that, you know, maybe they're taking a long time, but it's a big service. For years, Twitter was criticized for not innovating fast enough, not making enough money, struggling to get users. Did yeah. something have to happen? My main feedback that I recall giving on the board is, we need to do more things, more innovation, more bigger, bolder bets. And um, that's much easier said than done. And, and so it's a lot like a board member saying that is useful. But that was my primary feeling during those years. Did somebody have to shake something up? I mean, oh, right, yeah. the, you know, people are at the least, he's moving fast, breaking things, but shipping things. I think there's a totally fair criticism of Twitter that there wasn't enough innovation and there wasn't enough Mm -hmm. uh, new direction of it in the last, you know, let's say decade. Um, a lot of that effort, though, was going towards making the platform more safe and dealing with a lot of things that have been overlooked for a long period of time, including, you know, harassment, abuse, like manipulation by non-state actors, all these problems that are really not just real in the sense of they exist, but have real effects. Uh, and you look at what happens when you don't 
tackle those problems, whether it's genocide in, in Myanmar, as, as in the case of Facebook, you're talking about real problems that they had to clean up and deal with. Um, so I, I respect the fact that they spent a lot of time on that as opposed to shipping new features. But I do agree that Twitter didn't do enough in the last decade towards building features that resonated for the set of users who already got what Twitter was. And I kind of take that back to when we were there, which was we were always really focused on the top of the funnel. Yeah, it was always, sure. it was this relentless focus on we've got to get more people in the top of the funnel. We've got to grow the overall universe of mm -hmm. users on this. And there wasn't enough focus in, in my view, in hindsight on, but we've got some people for whom this really works. And that includes, you know, journalists and entertainers and, uh, you know, people in the media and, 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 and you know, politicians and you know, there's people who are good at the product, who are funny at it, even though they're not famous anywhere else. What can we do to deepen their experience of the mm -hmm. product? Mm -hmm. I think that could have been prioritized a lot more and would have produced a different result. Um, but yes, I, I, it's totally fair to say that something needed yeah. to happen. And given what we know now about how 2022 played out economically, something probably would have happened, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's unlikely that Twitter would have just sailed through this mass, this worst tech downturn since 2000 uh, without massive layoffs, without some sort of activist interest in the company. Something probably would have happened because Twitter was in a vulnerable state. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it needed to be uh, quite this silly. I completely agree on focusing on depth rather than breadth. I, I have the same view in hindsight about Twitter and a whole bunch of the tech world. And I think that's very related to the business model um, yeah. and selling advertisers. It's like there's breadth is mm -hmm. or number of people you can reach is important. Whereas a consumer paid service or an enterprise service, you have to have depth. And so figuring out the right combination of those things is an important strategic consideration. The other thing I would say though, if you look at most other major tech companies, it's not like their core thing that made them big, they dramatically change down the road. They incrementally improve it forever, whether that's Facebook or Apple or Amazon or whoever, and then they add new things. Mm -hmm. And so Twitter is one of the few companies of its size that didn't acquire something significant that became a second line of business or a mm -hmm. major other product. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes you start those things and Twitter tried to start a few things. That's very hard, very unusual. Gmail was started internally. Most of Google's other successful products were acquired. At least the seed of them was acquired. Including the entire advertising business. <laughs> yeah, and YouTube and Android and all those major things. Obviously Instagram, Facebook, all those. And so that is the path. Like you, you have massive growth for consumer and then you plateau and you try to keep making it better and and you add things usually through acquisition and twitter made some very smart acquisitions very early um but and a lot of talent acquisitions but there's no like second leg of the stool that was ever brought in mm -hmm. yeah do you wonder like who's actually working there anymore <laughs> it's almost down to the number of people that were there when we when when <laughs> i left like in 2010 i think when i, I left it was that. like 800 so we're within like a 2x wow. of it being around the same size. Uh, yeah, it's it's gotten pretty it's gotten pretty tidy and well, there. Kudos to those people who were keeping it going. The way in which the deal, he tried to back out of the deal even though he signed signed a binding contract uh, that had a specific performance clause. And in general his approach to contracts seems to be it's a starting point for negotiation mm -hmm. as opposed to this is something I'm actually obligated to do. Well, speaking of the industry, is there something about his hardcore approach? that's shaking the valley up? Well, I think the fact that interest rates are going up and there's the greatest economic downturn for the industry since 2000 has more to do with why the industry is shaking up. I mean, like, you know, I think that like this, there really is like sort of a sea change in terms of what the economic environment is for startups and big companies as well. Um, and I don't think that Facebook and Google are doing massive layoffs because they saw that Elon could get people to sleep on the floor and whatever. I don't think that really figures into Zox and Sundar's calculation as much as the street is demanding like a different level of performance than it was a year ago because the environment is completely different. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to give too much credit, but there you can kind of sense there is, a, particularly among like the VC world, this hunger for this era of austerity. Everyone wants these goddamn lattes. They're running us out of business. Can't sell enough ads to afford this kombucha on tap. And and like now that era is over, and you know people are gonna have to buckle down. There's that. There's a hunger for that to be true. Mm -hmm. 
I think it. I think it's important to remember that the employees weren't the ones asking for the kombucha. They were happy to accept the kombucha, but like once it was once it was made available. But there was a talent shortage, mm-hmm. and so companies were bending over backwards to try to hire all these people in a time in which economic boom seemed unending. And now that the economic environment has changed, that story has changed as well. I don't think Elon has created that reality, um, but is certainly emblematic of the narrative that people are using to justify those changes. The tables have turned. The austerity of Silicon yeah. Valley begins. Um, okay. Jack Dorsey, mm-hmm. who co-founded Twitter with you, mm-hmm. said, Twitter is the closest thing we have to a global consciousness. Solving for the problem of Twitter being a company, Elon is the singular solution I trust. This is one of the worst age tweets of all time. <laughs> like, I mean, like, this is, this is honestly one of the worst tweets that's ever been put on the platform, and there's a lot of them. Jack has been very consistent on this from the beginning, is that he really was interested in Twitter as a protocol, Twitter as like a, 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 me, a, a communications protocol, like a, a public good that could be used uh, in the same way that civic instru- infrastructure exists. Like Jack was very interested in maps and civic infrastructure, and that, that, was, that was like a lot of his interest. And he, his, the reason he's, I believe, you know, a Bitcoin maximalist, is because he sees that as this decentralized version of technology that can't be controlled by one company. He's very committed to the idea of the open web, um, and, and, you know, which is a tradition that we grew up in as well. Um, the problem was with Twitter is that from the beginning, we committed to a completely different path with the company. We were inherently not building a public good. We were building a for-profit enterprise that took VC funding and mm-hmm. was going to be a different type of a different type of company. So this notion that Twitter was ever going to be a public service really is a historical. It was never that was never going to happen. Um, and, but I think with Elon, he convinced himself, Jack did, that Elon shared this ambition for Twitter, uh, which is interesting on two notes. One, the idea that Twitter could become that at this late stage seems questionable, but maybe interesting to pursue. And two, there's literally no evidence whatsoever that Elon agrees with this vision for Twitter, that Elon believes that Twitter should be a public good. It seems much more the case that Elon wants Twitter to be his personal playground in which he sets the rules and determines how it works. It's the the exact opposite of an open, decentralized, uncontrolled Mm -hmm. product. Mm -hmm. It's a very centralized product controlled Mm -hmm. by one person. I agree with Jason. Twitter was never going to be an open protocol. Um, Jack has been very consistent. And I will say Jack has a beautiful mind that is very conceptually driven. Mm -hmm. And from the very first moment I met him, we would have these discussions where the the trick was figuring out what layer of abstraction we were were talking at. And um, so I love the idea, by the way, of an open decentralized protocol. And I had debates when I was running the company with Jack and other people in the company about whether Twitter could or should be that. And a lot of our efforts around the Twitter API early on were to to enable that idea. The conclusion I eventually came to is that it was not just the architecture of the system we built was, I mean, by definition, it's not an open protocol and we would have to completely remake it for it to be so. And um, it was unclear how to do that and with funding. And I think Jack agrees with this point that once it was, we took venture capital it couldn't be that. Yeah. Like, he may regret taking venture capital, but I don't because it helped us fund this amazing, cool thing that right. um, has been very successful. It's just a different thing. And um, I don't know what Elon wants it to be, but it, it um, doesn't seem like it's heading in that direction. At least there's no evidence of that. Mm-hmm. What I think is interesting and exciting is that it's opened up a space for potentially other platforms or other protocols to emerge and people may pay attention to them because Twitter maybe has less of a gravitational force for everybody's attention. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. 
their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you, I mean, there are a lot of folks out there who are angry at Jack. Like, I think some folks feel like Jack fed Twitter to the Elon Wolves. Do you feel that at all, or...? I do. Uh, like the, I mean, if you look at the timeline of how the deal was put together, it's pretty clear that Jack was instrumental in both recruiting Elon to be initially on the board, um, and then wholeheartedly, as he said in the tweet, endorsing Elon as the sole solution he trusts for the future of the company, which is to the detriment of the handpicked CEO that he put in, you know, Parag Agarwal. Like the previous year. Like he had only been on the job for six months or something like that. And then above and beyond that, it was also clear that you know, employee, there was gonna be massive layoffs, the culture of the company is gonna dramatically change, and you know, there were people who felt like Jack was with like, the last caretaker as the last founder who's full-time employed at the company to kind of look out for those people and, and felt abandoned by that. I'm not mad at Jack. I, I think he made a mistake, um, but I'm very grateful to Jack for, for, I mean, he cares so deeply, and I know he's, Jack is, is says what he believes, and he did the decision he thought was correct, and I think he really wants that future. Um, I think it was was probably not going, the, I don't know, I haven't talked to him recently. Um, I would love to, but I'm guessing it's not going the way he was hoping. Um, I think one of the coolest things Jack did toward the future he wanted was start yeah, Blue, Blue Sky. Blue Sky is smart. Blue Sky is really cool. Blue Sky was the uh, decentralized um, Twitter mm -hmm. project that um, he funded or Twitter funded, I'm actually not sure which. He funded. Um, and actually, he's, they're very smart people at Blue Sky working on very cool like architectural solutions to a decentralized network. And unfortunately, I, I think perhaps it was underfunded or just hasn't gone far enough. But that is more interesting to me than, like I think the notion that was wrong is turning Twitter into that. Mm -hmm. So let's take the other part of the tweet. Twitter is a global conscious. Like, what is Twitter? Is Twitter the global town square? Is yeah. it the global consciousness, in your view? Oh, gosh, no. I think the global consciousness is the global consciousness. Yeah. We, we have a global consciousness. It's not Twitter. I think that's not right. It's conceptually sort of like, oh, let's connect all the people in the world and have a communication mechanism like that's the conceptual part that we talked about in the beginning, not just of Twitter, but of the internet that was mind blowing. It's like, oh my gosh, how cool would it be to actually connect each other's brains in real time through language and like time and distance, eliminate time and distance for communication. Uh, that's still very exciting, like just and amazing. Twitter is a pretty distilled version of that, but it's not dramatically different than you know, the telegram and then the email and the, the web and all, it's just like a particular, I mean, the internet is the, you could say the internet is maybe the closest thing to connecting my, not Twitter itself, but that's a, that's like detailed. What is Twitter? I don't know, there are many metaphors that one could play with. I think the easiest way to think about Twitter is that it's the world's leading marketplace for tweets. <laughs> like it is, it is unmatched. Very specific. It is unmatched in delivering tweets to people. Uh, and I think that's better than the global, I think the global town square stuff is not good because you're co-opting a public good into inherently a private enterprise. Mm -hmm. And the global consciousness thing is not good because as Ev says, there is a global consciousness. Like there, like there is something that exists out of private enterprise that binds people together and that you know, shares common experiences. Even at Google, with the best technologists in the world, people who are building the bleeding edge of the internet, in early 2000s. Those people, including the founders, fundamentally did not understand that the web was a platform for self-expression. Mm -hmm. That the most interesting thing in the web itself was not that you could get information out of it. It wasn't a library which you could check out infinite books. It was that you could put anything onto this canvas. Mm. And that's always what excited us, what led yeah, Ev to create sure. Blogger, and what you know made me want to work on it, what made me want to work on Twitter, was that this was a way of using the web as this portal mm -hmm. into other people's experiences and other people's lives. And that really is uh, seductive and, interest and interesting. I think the problem is just that you have to distinguish between, 
you have to accept the fact that if you're doing it in the context of a for-profit enterprise, mm. you're, you're inherently building a certain type of thing and it's not going to be a public good, mm. it's not going to be a metaphysical construct, mm. it's going to be a company. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but that, it can still be really cool. A really cool company. Say. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think there is a notion that one could slip into here is like, because we made it a company, it's just like this, you know, capitalistic right. like, mm. thing. It could also be of tremendous service, yeah. and I, I think it has been and, you know, debatable. But what is it? To some extent, platforms, once they reach a certain scale, do kind of work like governments, mm -hmm. even if they are for-profit, because you have all these constituencies, you, you're trying to make them all happy, you have to enforce, you have to have rules, and you have to enforce rules, mm -hmm. I believe, or else you have anarchy. I mean, right. some people would choose anarchy. I think we've learned through civilization that it's probably best to have rules and reinforce those rules. And I think the same applies to platforms. Where it gets tricky is then there's like, how much do the platforms take versus... Right, yeah. well this is the hardest question, right? Yeah. Like, what makes it amazing also makes it a cesspool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how do you keep the best <laughs> right. without the worst? Yeah. Right. The, another interesting point on that front though is there is a view in the decentralized web rhetoric that the problem with centralized platforms or for-profit platforms is they, they take all the money mm -hmm. that all the people create, but Twitter in its history has never made money. Like, <laughs> there's been profitable years, exactly. but overall, there's no money. I mean, I've made money. I mean, thank you, but, um, <laughs> but like, as a company, there's, like, if you spread all that money around, it's not like it's... it's Infinite just, money, yeah. It, it's just like, there was um, some people who funded this thing that, and they did very well, and pe some people who worked there did very well. But that's the other aspect of this that I think is often confused. That may not be true. Google has mm -hmm. made a lot of, makes a lot of money, but <laughs> maybe that's why something different had to happen. Well, there's this question of sort of, is Twitter just a social network, or should it be held to a higher standard? I think Ev's point about governance is a good one, because it, it does become the case that these platforms do become you know, uh, transnational, they have to exist in multi-markets, they have different rules in all of those markets, they have a board of governance uh, that's either internalized or externalized in the case of Facebook that tries to review what they're doing. And, and in some sense, regulation has been trying to catch up to what these mm -hmm. platforms have done. And in its vacuum, things like the terms of service for how you get included in the Apple App Store become the most important law in the land. Whether or not you can be in the App Store matters way more than what the EU said, what, what, what regulations the EU have passed heretofore, or what the US does in a congressional hearing about Twitter. Like that is the law of the land. But it probably shouldn't be that way. It probably, in my view, should be the case that these platforms have to adhere to a certain set of values and that are held to account when they trespass against those values by democratic systems. So you were the White House Chief Digital Officer. Mm -hmm. Do you think Twitter should be regulated? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think, I think I, absolutely. I think regulation is, 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 has been long overdue domestically. It's already happening uh, around the world. The type, of, the type of regulation I think is almost inarguable that anyone ought support, or you know, that, that's even from a technology's perspective, is just greater transparency on how these things work. Because the thing that people don't understand is there is this na naive perception similar to the money-making thing, which is that these companies will do anything to twist the knobs to squeeze a few more dollars. The reality is that no one running these companies actually understands what's going on that well. That, <laughs> like, I mean, like the, these are, we're talking about stochastic systems that are amplifying content according to a set of rules that some human wrote, but the output of those rules is unpredictable. I mean, increasingly, some human didn't write the rules. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. And so you don't even know you don't even know what people are seeing or why. And unless you have some third party ability to audit and review, what are the impacts of what people are seeing? What are people seeing? I think we we, including the people who built these systems, can't confidently say they understand the effect of what they've built. Mm -hmm. I will add also. This will sound self serving, but I'm actually really proud of how Twitter has governed yeah. over since we started it. And Jason was a big part of this in the early days. And then um, Alex McGilvery, Vidya, most recently, Del Harvey. There's a whole department of people, and I think across trust and safety industry-wide, who take their jobs very, very seriously, are very values-driven and very thoughtful, and really experts on these issues in a way that People outside have no idea the complexity and right. the thoughtfulness that goes into these decisions mm -hmm. about 
what can stay on, what, what... Right, I mean, what was it like being behind the scenes of all of that? What stays on, what comes down? Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Like, because people think, like, to Ev's point, people think it's like, why don't you just remove the Nazis? It's like, well, <laughs> the issue is that there's some guy who's not exactly a Nazi, but is, like, cosplaying as, like, a Nazi-tinged frog. And how do we feel about, like, Nazi-tinged... You know, it's this very, like, edge case stuff. There's this guy named Noah... Um, who was a Twitter troll very early, 2007, 2008. And he was creating a bunch of accounts on Twitter and having using the API to have them all talk to each other and would occasionally use them to brigade like other people with weird art projects that he was building. I've got a bit of like, you know, an anarchist in me as well. It's like, oh, let's just see what you can do on this canvas of the web. I was like, yeah, like, let's see what happens when you like put a bunch of art projects out there and have all the bots talk to each other. What will it be? But I thought it was cool. But on the other hand, you had users writing in and be like, I just like, my whole thing got messed up because yeah. this guy targeted me with a bunch of weird pictures. And so I remember I was having a conversation with him. I was like, could you just like, you know, be more chill? And like, you know, he's like, well, what does that, what does that mean? And I was like, well, we're trying to figure out how to write the rules, but you're just, <laughs> you're just doing a lot right now. And, and like, he just, he just, he just wouldn't be kept in a box. Uh -huh. There's a lot of things like that that don't fall in a bright line category. It reminds me of different metaphors that, um, you're like, you're like hosting a party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like someone's ruining the vibe. Yeah. Or, I mean, maybe they're putting someone in danger and then it's right. like police, but when someone's just ruining the vibe, you're like, be more chill. I mean, that's ideal. Like if you want to have a good party in a good environment, you need to make it comfortable and safe for everybody. But there could be different vibes and different conversations. But you, you try to do that for the whole world and then it gets very hard and it's very, very nuanced. And I believe you want to host a good party, not just say, like, do whatever you want on the streets. We just pave the streets, and that's all we do. Right, right. Because it's, and, and that's proven with lots of parts of the web where people don't govern, and they- It turns horrible. It, it turns horrible. Yeah. Okay, well, what about former President Trump? Would you have banned mm. Trump? Yeah, I mean, those are the, those are the things that, like, those kind of decisions get a lot of outsized attention because it's like the president of the United States or whatever. Well, it's also a metaphor yeah. for like the yeah. broader problem. I do think like the harm, like, and actually like just to go back, like I do think Jack deserves a lot of credit in the post 2016 environment um, for dedicating more resources to figuring out these hard questions of like, mm -hmm. of, of, of how should we mitigate harm more? Like obviously we've backed ourselves in a corner somehow where the platform's being used in new ways that are causing harm for users. What do we do about that? And he empowered leaders like Vidya to figure that out and drive those teams. And, and it led to a decision-making process that people can you know, question the results of. But that's, the governance structure is more important than any one decision of, you know, should we ban Trump or not? It's like, okay, how does that decision get made? Who's, who's involved in it? Like, how does that decision be made transparent to other people? I mean, to give you just a specific answer, since you asked, I definitely would have banned Trump he incited a, you know, he incited a coup against the United States. Like, I, I think there should be a no coup policy. You should be not be able to use, like, you should not be able to use the service to incite a coup. That would be, that would be something I'd be comfortable standing behind. F? I agree with that. I think that's where it gets really. That's where, that's it, where it gets really murky because yeah. there is. It's then you go back, but it's not actually a house party. It is actually this very important service that right. that the world communicates and world lead. And should you ban the president of the United States, um, even if you believe that individual is doing harm to the world, I think I don't know the answer to the question. I'm actually I was on the board during that time and. Uh, we didn't talk about, you know, whether we should ban Trump. Maybe there were a few conversations, but there was much more conversation about how do we decide these things. Mm -hmm. And I think that was an incredibly hard thing to do, decide. But my take on that is like, it's not actually clear. If these rules were super objective, we could just have the computers moderate it. Mm -hmm. And maybe we're getting right. closer to that with AI, but at least up until now, the rules are subjective, and that's why there's a whole infrastructure of humans. I don't think they can be made completely objective in the same way the law that we that we live by isn't completely yeah. objective, and that's why we have judges and juries and the whole process to figure out like where things fall. Mm -hmm. The same thing is true in you know in on this platform. How does Twitter survive Elon? Does Twitter survive this? Well, we tried to kill the product a lot. I mean, we, we <laughs> I mean, it didn't work very well for a while when we were working there. That's so, true. I mean, true. It, it, we, it seems to be anti-fragile. There's this joke, there's this joke about, you know, not joke, but there's a standard in the industry 
of, you know, you gotta have like five nines, or how many nines of uptime do you have? Uh, you know, are you up like 99.999% of the time? And Google was like, you know, a seven nines company, right? It never went down. Um, and I remember when, in like 2008, Twitter was like, can we get a nine? What are we, can, we, can we buy a nine? I saw the fail well a few times. Yeah, so it didn't work really well. Yeah, but I, it'll survive. I mean, yeah. things, things that big don't die. I mean, Yahoo's still a company. MySpace is still a thing. So you're MySpace comparing Twitter is- to Yahoo? Yeah, I mean, I think that's fine. I yeah. mean, and look, I think it's way too soon to tell whether or not yeah. it, it bounces back. I don't even know what the numbers are. Maybe it's thriving, but reputationally it's very different, at least amongst people I know. Does the brand recover? I think that's hard. I think brand recovery is much harder, and now the brand is very linked to Elon. You know, there's all these like influencer companies that are like very personality-driven, mm-hmm. and now... Twitter after the fact became one is very interesting, but um, I just think, I think the reason to be optimistic right now in is related to your question before, should it be a company? Yeah, should the internet be a company? No, and guess what? Anyone can make a new Twitter or a better Twitter or a, like just a whole new paradigm on the internet. And lots of people are trying right yeah. now, and that's really cool. And I don't think there's gonna be a Twitter replacement, mm-hmm. but, for a long time, there has been not that much innovation in consumer internet. And because it was very hard, because Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, had sucked up so much of the attention, and if you need want to build critical mass of a network, you had to get people out of these things. There's a whole bunch of people working on new concepts and ideas, and some of those are gonna thrive, and I don't think I think Twitter will be one of the many things we look at to communicate online. Mm-hmm. The, the, the brand question, I think, I, I, share, I share your optimism, which is rare for me. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, because, because like we're in, you know, we're in like a really bad market right now. Yeah. And that's when the coolest stuff has always that's happened. True. I mean, we met up in the, the, the post-dot-crash era. Right. Um, and we were, we were like in a detective's office on Market Street. Like, you know, it was like, there was, no one was building companies in San Francisco. Uh, and that, that, kind of, that kind of collapse and re- resetting of expectations is really healthy yeah. and is what drives new possibilities. The other thing that drives new possibilities is, is platform evolution. And there hasn't been one in a long time in tech. The last platform evolution was the mobile the mobile revolution and the, cl- mm-hmm. and the and cloud computing revolution. And it's been, a, for in terms of tech, just a very long time since those. And you know it's a long time by how thirsty the industry is to believe in anything else. Like, like <laughs> please let it be Web3. Please let it be the VR goggles. There's gotta be something, there's gotta be some new <laughs> land out there. Um, and now like everyone believes it's gonna be AI. And, it, and that one, at least, as opposed to the other two, looks like it might be something. Mm-hmm. Like you can do stuff with it, which is, a, and it's getting better faster, which yeah. is a good hallmark of technology. Um, but, you know, it, 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 all of that leads me to believe, as Ev does, that there's gonna be people trying stuff now. And there's an opportunity because of the brand collapse of Twitter. The brand collapse of Twitter is particularly sad because it was self-inflicted and the decisions that he made around verification are kind of indicative of that because by choosing to charge for verification that wasn't really verification, this was just sort of a way of inflicting harm on journalists and celebrities that he didn't like and who thought he could extract value from. Whereas in fact, having those people on the platform was the brand value of the platform. Those people being on the platform and being identified as they were allowed people to have trust in participating in conversations on Twitter. And so that brand value is eroded. What about Elon Musk's brand? It's really suffered, I would say. I think he's... He's he's a wild man, but he's also a genius, and he's he's an engineer, and he's he's, I think he's brilliant, but no one's brilliant on everything. everything. This is this is the fundamental this is the fundamental problem. This is one of in my view Silicon Valley's fundamental sins is is the sin of genius, which is that you see someone who's made a ton of money, uh, and this is just sort of an American problem where you believe that someone who's made a ton of money must be smart. Like they couldn't have just, there wasn't, you discount luck and you overvalue skill. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, 
the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do you feel right now looking at something that you created kind of going through this? Is there any sadness? Is there any anger? Is there any feeling of regret? I'm very zen, but I... I, We don't want to send you to therapy after this interview, but I do want to know. therapy already, it's fine. (laughs) Um, I was sad when the purchase actually went through. I was surprised. Like, up to the last minute, I thought, oh, it's not going to happen. And then when it happened, I was like, oh, I no longer own any Twitter, and it's not a public company. I was a little sad about that. I wasn't sure why. It was a nice check. It was a good, you know, prize for my remaining shares. I really felt for the people who were there who went and, you know, had a lot of turmoil and lots of really great people. Um, but I also am always a fan of, of creative destruction and, you know, what's new. And Jason's point earlier that something would have happened anyway because of the financial picture of the world. It's also just, you know, social media was not perfect, yeah. you know? Right. What, like, what's, what's important about maintaining... Twitter as it was, and like maybe there's, maybe it's the wrong idea. Maybe we just had the wrong idea with Twitter, and now it's time to move on to some other idea. I mean, that's a big thing to say, <laughs> coming from the founder of Twitter. I think it was the right idea for the time, right? but I don't think that means it's the right idea yeah. forever. I mean, what's the right idea forever, especially in technology? Is it TikTok? Is it Mastodon? Is it, there's Snap, there's- TikTok's pretty great. <laughs> TikTok's pretty great. It's just a completely different thing, and I mean, there's so one thing that's happening with social media i think the idea of social media is probably the thing i'm questioning the most right now yeah because social is really cool everybody's social people are interesting people want to connect with each other and then there's media media is also very interesting for a minute we thought oh the best would be if we like got media from our friends tiktok and some other places are showing, the media from your friends is probably not as good as the media from some super talented you know, person who's you've never met before, and you could just enjoy that media. And then you might enjoy talking to your friend. Mm. That's social. And maybe they don't have to be the same thing. And there's a lot of trends like on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, where fewer and fewer people are posting. That's been the trend yeah. for years. And because of the professionalization. And, and, but those who do post are building bigger audiences. They're making businesses out of it. The whole creator economy, blah, blah, blah. And then so for a normal person, putting posts out into the world, thoughts, is both higher risk and lower reward than it, than it yeah. was before. So that's no longer where one time we thought, well, everyone, everyone's going to do everyone's going to yeah. do this. Everyone's not going to do this. Right. Why would they? Why would they do it? Everyone's going to talk to their friends online and off. And I actually think there's tons of interesting things now if we think about how do we use the internet to help people be more social without consuming or creating media. Maybe the future of social media is the separation of social and, and media. media. Really yeah. interesting. So, what are the chances that? Elon does pull this off. What are the chances he creates a Twitter that's a better version of what it is? I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. I think it's it's definitely too soon Mm -hmm. to tell um, what's going to happen. I think if they keep trying things, which they almost certainly will, there's going to be some interesting discoveries and opportunities to say, oh, that was a thing that Elon did, whether or not he did it or or someone on his team Mm -hmm. did it. But... I also think generally the new thing does not come from the old thing. Yeah. It would be surprising also if the thing that like sort of turned it around, that made it a win, was there's some feature that they have to launch, right? I mean like I don't think this is like a, Mm -hmm. we have a roadmap of three features and if we ship them, Twitter suddenly becomes There were a lot of people thinking about features for a good decade and (laughs) a half at software. There are infinite possibilities, there's new AI possibilities, et cetera. I mean, it's probably pretty fun to own mm-hmm. Twitter. I owned it once. <laughs> it was, um, it was, it was interesting. It's like, what a canvas to create from. If you have the pressure of 
and oh my God, we're losing billions of dollars, maybe that it limits your creativity a bit, which is why I think Jack was was um, feeling a bit stuck being a public company and the Elon solution is making a private company. I don't know how comfortable Elon is with losing billions of dollars. Maybe he's fine. Maybe he can get to break even and then just yeah, play with it. And I do it. think that is actually important. I do think being a public company and having, it's the classic innovator's dilemma. You can't do anything interesting because you have to keep this revenue growing a certain, and to, to, to zig when you just have to make these numbers go up is very, very hard. So that does increase the chances, actually. Um, you haven't tweeted in a while. You haven't been tweeting much. What the hell? What, what would it take? What would it take to get you back? Um, I just, I don't enjoy it as much as I used to. I haven't tweeted that much for years. I mean, I mostly, probably 90% of my tweets in the last five years were, were just medium links. But is the bar higher now? I just, I'm like those regular people who I don't want to be an influencer necessarily in the, the, it's this, yeah. I have been on Mastodon mm -hmm. and um, using that, um, ev at me.dm on Mastodon. Nice, good, um, plug. good plug. And it's been, it's been fun. It's a bit more freer. I feel more comfortable just throwing stuff out there. But that's what part of what got me to think of just like social media. Do I have the need yeah. to just like, hey guys, I had a thought. Let's throw it out there in the world. What do you think? I love doing that. I love having conversation, exploring ideas. I, a lot of the drive for me that's gone is like, can I put something out there that people are gonna positive respond to? Like the dopamine hit of doing that just doesn't catch me like it used mm. to. What about just like a nice eating a taco for nostalgia's sake? <laughs> Occasionally. Tweet a, tweet I, eating a I taco. I think I did that within, within the last few months. You hit on this, and this is like one of the things that like I think actually we were wrong about going back to like the <laughs> blogger time, which was, the people at Google didn't understand why the web was a canvas and a participatory medium. And I think they were wrong about that. But we believed everyone was gonna do this. We did this. kind of believe everyone did it. Even and a blog. Everyone was gonna have everyone a blog. Everyone will have a blog. Everyone will have a blog. And they're like, well, what will people write these about? Whatever they're interested in. Yeah. Right? You know, Share their life, share their ideas. The problems that come with deciding you wanna be a content creator and putting yourselves out there, it's just, you have to be willing to like kind of opt into a certain model and so as a result, Twitter's become less fun, you know, for, for that type of user. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's like lots of people like playing guitar and right. a very few of them, you know, or maybe many of them aspire to be famous musicians, mm -hmm. but it's just the path to get there, everybody knows is just like crazy. There's not like this huge disparity between the people who were good at it or, right. I mean, really creators aren't even, on Twitter, they're on TikTok, where they have these massive, massive audiences. And if you look at that and think, well, I'm gonna step onto that same stage and play my guitar, then you're like, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm like, and but it used to be the stage wasn't that big. So it's right. like, oh yeah, hop up on stage with me. We're all just hanging out, jamming. That was when we thought, yeah, everybody will do this. And then the stage changed. And so what would your advice be for Elon Musk right now? <laughs> What would your advice be for anyone, for somebody running Twitter or somebody running a social? For Elon in particular, I would, I, you know, it would be the classic, you should really go on like a listening tour and like go around the world, you've got a plane, go around the world and meet with some users in different parts of the world that use the product, are power users of the product, that derive value from doing it, that are outside of this very specific bubble in which you exist, that are this very strange nest of like right-wing, uh, you know, right-wing agitators that you reply to a lot. Go meet with the folks in India who are sort of being prosecuted for the use of Twitter. Go meet with dissidents who are like, you know, uh, uh, opposed to the Chinese government using Twitter in, in Hong Kong or Taiwan. Go use, go, go meet with people um, in all these parts of the world that are, you know, rely on Twitter to do different things. It doesn't all have to be politics. You meet with people who are, you know, weird music creators and in, in, in parts of the world that, you know, we don't get a lot of uh, visibility into here and understand why they value the service mm -hmm. and what they get from it. I don't feel like I have advice for Elon. I would just say my, my hope is Elon keeps doing important work that impacts the world in in really amazing ways as he has for a lot of his career and um i don't know if it's about getting more of his tweets seen mm -hmm. 
Yeah, like if you if you took like the philosophy that led him to open up like the Tesla supercharger network to oh. other vehicles and said like, what is the equivalent move for Twitter? That's great. That's an interesting idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is obviously more personal, but like, I feel if to your point, like if Twitter went away or materially changed, like it makes me a little sad. Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't have a platform. Mm -hmm to go out there on, or it's, yeah. it's, for some reason it feels more vulnerable out there. I feel more vulnerable mm. out there. You do have a TV on show. Twitter. So I do. <laughs> you have other ways of being hurt. True, but like, not everything rises to the level of the taco that I'm eating down the street, right? Yeah. That's why I think as a user, it's, it is a little sad. I mean, I'm yeah, sure there's yeah, other yeah. people who are super excited, right? Yeah. About the potential. A lot of people love Twitter and don't want, and it was pretty good. Is pretty good. Is that? Well, I'm I don't so, know. I'm so, I, like, I you're speak. saying, well, maybe people just don't want it, but it was pretty good. It's kind it, of. Yeah, I don't know. As a person on this couch who's most addicted, to <laughs> uh, and like loves using, it, can't pull myself away. Um, you're still tweeting. I a tweet lot. a bunch. I there's constantly things on the service, even in this somewhat sadder time that I'm like, this is the service is never gonna die. This is yeah. delightful. Even though I believe my own personal experience is that the the it's less volume than mm -hmm. it was, mm -hmm. that it somehow feels more dead, you still see those those occasional ones that make you like, this can yeah. never go away. This interaction I agree. is cool. And by the way, I don't tweet a lot, but my timeline's great. There's amazing stuff on there. And even if most people don't want to tweet, if a hundred million people in the world share the most interesting idea or thought or piece of media they found today, which is a small percentage of the population, and the computers could algorithmically give you the most interesting slice of that possible, that's a hell of a media service. Yeah. And so we may not be losing as much. We're really we losing shall more, see. We're losing more of a vibe than we are. We're losing today. a vibe. Yeah. Losing we're losing vibe. a vibe. It's really yeah. about the vibe. Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey did not respond to requests for comment. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Circuit. I'm Emily Chang. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Emily Chang TV. You can watch full episodes of The Circuit at Bloomberg.com. And check out our other Bloomberg podcasts on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartMedia app, or wherever you listen to shows. And let us know what you think by leaving us a review. I'm your host and executive producer. Our senior producer is Lauren Ellis. Our associate producer is Lizzie Phillip. Our editor is Sebastian Escobar. Thanks so much for listening. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just a show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.